Let's join in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that we have the scriptures and we have this great story today of King Solomon and Queen of Sheba. Please bless it to us that we might understand and see what's happening here, that we might also hear the words of Jesus and come to hear their importance. Hear us as we pray and ask this in his name. Amen. Well, it's been some weeks since we've looked at Solomon, so it's good for us to go back in time to just set the context of where we are. I made the observation at the end of chapter 8, if you can remember back that far, that King Solomon had reached the top of the mountain. And over these last number of weeks, we've traced his ascent to the top of the mountain. We began with chapter 1, where the scriptures recorded the death of his, David, his father David and his eventual struggle to get to the throne with Adonijah. Then in chapter 2, we saw his kingship established. Chapter 3, the gift of wisdom that was his and how his kingdom grew in chapter 4. Chapters 5 to 8 told us about the building program that Solomon undertook with his vast wealth and wisdom and skilled men, how Solomon built the Lord's temple and his own palace and many numerous other fortifications, establishing himself as one of the richest and wisest kings of men who ever lived. On top of that mountain that Solomon has been ascending, though, is a plateau before the descent that surrounds all the sides of the mountain that he's climbed. But before that descent began, before all things started to go downhill and those cracks became wider and those seeds of sin that had been sown began to bear fruit, the Queen of Sheba came to visit. Now if you can imagine this plateau on top of the mountain which Solomon has climbed, you can also imagine on the top of that mountain is a stage on which a throne sits and many brilliant lights are focused on that stage. Lights all focused on Solomon in all his glorious array. And these lights are on him that are so bright, you need to put sunglasses on because the glare is so intense. This is what it was like when the queen visited Solomon, the king. This is something of what she saw. She saw the glory of the king, this amazing, this wonderful, this dazzling glory of the king, Solomon. And so for a time, before the downhill descent begins, before the wheels start falling off, Solomon gets to experience this glory. 
Not the glory of God that filled the temple, not that kind of glory, although it could be argued that this was glory that God bestowed on Solomon, but this is the glory of Solomon. A man who had absolutely everything as far as the world went at the time. The richest man, the most powerful man, the wisest man. So wise that a queen from a far off country came to see him to see if it was true and didn't leave unimpressed. Now if you Google the question, who is the queen of Sheba? You'll be reading for ages and ages. There are lots of traditions and mysteries that surround this woman. At one end of the spectrum, uh, some historians say there's no evidence at all that she even existed. At the other end, others are so convinced that they have all kinds of conspiracy theories about her. You can read all of these if you want in your own time. But for us, we'll just leave it that she was a queen of a kingdom either in Africa or Arabia. Some scholars believe that this queen came from what we call today Yemen. 1,500 kilometres from Jerusalem. But no matter where she was from, she came to see Solomon to see if the reports she had heard of him were the truth or was it fake news? Whether this ever happened or not, let Jesus be the judge, for he certainly believed that it did and he was not one to lie. In fact, from what Jesus said of her visit and what the chapter tells us, her visit is held up as one of the highlights of Solomon's reign, showing us how God brought her, this queen, as a representative of the surrounding Gentile nations to Israel to see something of the glory of Solomon but also to bring praise to the God of Israel. There are three aspects that I want to think about this morning as the Queen enters the scene, as the Queen sees what she sees and makes her way home again. Firstly, note how the king met the queen, the seeker. Verse 1 tells us, Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Now, the sort of visit this is, is very significant. We're used to seeing our prime minister and presidents of various other nations visiting each other at home and abroad, But this is bigger than that. This is one monarch visiting another monarch and in those days this was so very rare unless there was a military conquest involved. But we know from previous chapters that Israel is at peace with everyone and the Queen is not visiting in order to conquer. She's come to seek out the truth with her very large entourage in tow. 
It's this very thing that Jesus commends her for and by which she will judge others. It is this aspect of her honest seeking and willingness to find the truth that Jesus said would show up the unbelievers of the first century world. Imagine two columns and compare the Queen with the Jews of Jesus' day. She was a stranger and a Gentile. The Jews of Jesus' day were the people of God. She heard rumours secondhand and on the basis of that took her whole court to see Solomon in person. The Jews had first-hand encounters with Jesus and heard and saw him firsthand. She was willing to travel thousands of kilometres to find out the truth. The Jews rejected the truth in their own backyard. She came with hard questions, but was willing to learn and receive the answers. The Jews asked hard questions, but only to trap Jesus, so they didn't have to believe. She saw the lesser glory of Solomon and praised God while the Jews saw the greater glory of Jesus and blasphemed the Holy Spirit. She received man's best wisdom. The Jews rejected the Christ in whom are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden. Based on Jesus' words, it's clear that she believed what she saw. But many of the Jews who saw so much more than her became a synagogue of Satan. This Queen of Sheba then is a teacher who shows us something of the way of salvation. She's the model sceptic who comes to faith, challenging the unbelievers of this age in a past age. And you ask, well, how does she do that? Well, for a start, she challenged the prejudices of our generation by honest inquiry. She challenged the prejudices of our generation by honest inquiry. How many today reject Jesus on the basis of hearsay? They might have seen a Discovery Channel program that claims that Jesus didn't rise from the dead or that certain biblical events didn't happen. And now they're suddenly experts and have a rock-solid basis for unbelief. They may have fallen for the lie, the devil's lie, that the Bible is full of errors, even though they cannot point to a single one of them. By the way, just ask anyone who says that to you, who says the Bible is full of errors, just ask them, and what would they be? And watch them squirm. See, today many have never read the Bible but claim it is not true. They claim that Christ cannot be the saviour of the world but have never stopped to test out his claims. The problem is not that Christianity has been tried and tested and found to be false. The problem is not being tried. It's not approached with faith. The gospel is just rejected without much further inquiry. 
Then also look at the lengths she went to in order to discover the truth. This puts to shame the efforts of this generation. If someone has read a few Wikipedia articles or watched a few things on YouTube, they think they are experts. They know more than the people who have studied these things their whole lives. Her willingness to go to such extremes exposes our easy willingness to believe a lie. And also she was willing to ask the hard questions. How many are willing to ask these questions today? We're all brainwashed by our culture and unable and unwilling perhaps to test our own worldviews to see whether they are good or false. How many go along with what is popular, for example, without having a complete worldview of creation, our identity as being male and female in the image of God, our identity as spiritual beings, The Bible is an authority on spiritual things we cannot access through science and so on. This queen asked hard questions to get answers, not content to go along with what others were saying. Will our generation, will this generation, wake up to the fact that they're too also in need of asking and getting answers to hard questions. Questions like, does God exist? How can I know that God exists? Who am I? Why am I here? Where did this universe come from? Why is there good in an evil world? Will this generation ask those questions and test the evolutionary basis that has become the status quo? See, this queen became a seeker on the basis of reports she heard from men. What will our generation do with reports of Jesus and what he's done? Four eyewitness accounts of his perfect life, his miracles, his teachings, his death and resurrection. The saviour of the world has had a greater effect on this world than any other human in all of history? Will this generation allow themselves to be satisfied with what someone else says on YouTube about him? Or will they test his claims for themselves? One such person that did that was Lee Strobel, the one-time legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, who needed evidence before he'd believe anything. When his wife became a believer in Jesus, he used his journalism and legal training to begin an investigation into whether there was any credibility to Christianity or to any other world faith system for that matter. He did it for a year and nine months until the 8th of November 1991, when he realised, quote, in the light of the torrent of, ev- torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing toward the truth of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't do that. 
I was trained in journalism and law to respond to the truth. And so on that day, I responded by receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Consider the Queen, the honest seeker who came to find the truth. Secondly, note how the king met the queen, the believer. Uh, The story of this queen is not only a great portrayal of how one ought to seek, but also a demonstration of God's mission in the world. God had so blessed his people, particularly under the rule and reign of Solomon, for the purpose of making Israel a place of peace and blessing as a light to the whole world, as a light to the Gentiles. He deliberately intended to give Solomon this glory that people everywhere might see his glory, God's glory, to attract other people from other nations like this queen to see the reality and the wonder of this truth. And Jerusalem, with its magnificent temple in the midst of it, set high upon the holy hill of Mount Moriah, where Abraham once took a knife to slay his son Isaac. Jerusalem was the place to which the prophets predicted that nations would stream in their thousands to behold the wondrous works of the Lord and be instructed in his ways. And though Solomon has been less than perfect, and though Solomon will prove to fail the Lord, this glory that was set up in Jerusalem was reached in parts through him who had been blessed by God so much in this way. So we see in verse 3 Solomon's superior wisdom answering her questions. We see in verses 4 to 5 the abundance of wealth in the Old Testament way of demonstrating the blessing of God and his presence with his people. The impact was such that the queen was left breathless in verse 5. But she managed to get some breath to speak in verses 6 to 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Now I don't think we find evidence here that she gave her heart and soul to the Lord to be his. But she did acknowledge the Lord as the source of all the good that she saw in Solomon's kingdom. All Solomon's gifts and glory had this proper effect in directing this Gentile queen to look upward, to see the glory of the God of Israel beyond the glory of the king of Israel. Later in chapter, this chapter, verse 23 to 24, will tell us that she was not the only one. When it tells us that King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth 
in riches and wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God put into his mind. Did you hear that? The whole earth. The Queen of Sheba was just the forerunner of others coming. This was a fulfilment of Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Her acknowledgement of God's delight in Solomon echoes the covenant made with David that God will be a father to his son and that God will delight in him, which he certainly did. But we cannot leave it with Solomon, can we? We cannot help but move from this son of David in whom God delighted to the son of David in whom God delights in Jesus. If this Gentile queen from afar can see the reality of God and become a worshipper of him through God's delight in Solomon, how much more can we believe in this God who was so delighted in his son, blessing him with a ministry of miracles, raising him from the dead, setting him on the throne that is above all thrones and many more things that testify to the king that God delights in, our king. Thirdly, we see how the queen, sorry, the king met the queen who became a giver and a receiver. She came with, to see Solomon with great gifts to give the king, as we're told in verse 10, 120 talents of gold and a great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as those that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Not only is she an example in searching for the truth, but in generous giving to the true king. It's clear that she gave of her best. She didn't come with leftovers or second-hand gifts. She gave precious things to the king, costly things, expensive things, reminding us of Mary who broke open that bottle of perfume that was so expensive to anoint the feet of Jesus at great cost. It reminds us of what we ought to do as we give to the king. She gave her gifts of tribute and submission. We give our all to Christ our king in tribute and submission to him. But she didn't just give, she received. She not only gave to the king all these generous gifts, but the king gave back to her more than she could give to him. Verse 13 says, And King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked for, besides what was given her, by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Solomon outdid her in terms of giving. We cannot help but see an echo of our own relationship with our own king. He gives to you more than you can give to him. 
He gives to you out of his royal treasury. More than that, he marries you to himself so that you have everything in him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. It reminds us too that Jesus also promised he would give us whatever we ask for. Not a blank check, by the way. He doesn't promise to give us whatever we want because from other texts we know that he will give us whatever we ask for in line with his will. The great tow ropes by which a ship is moored to the dock do not pull the dock to the ship, but the ship to the dock. So also in prayer, when we ask, if we ask aright, we will be asking for that which is in line with God's will, being pulled into doing that will, rather than making God bend to do what we want. So how do we understand then the visit of the Queen of Sheba to the King of Israel? Jesus gives the perspective we need from our second reading that Jenny read for us. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Note this fact. Jesus says that the Queen of Sheba will rise up to condemn his generation. Imagine that. On the day when, of judgment when the books are opened and the kings of all the earth are gathered, great and small, All will hear this testimony from the Queen, this woman, about her search for the truth and what she found and what she saw and her testimony will put to shame and make mockery of those who saw and heard all that God did through Jesus but was rejected as being of the devil. But it will not just be the Jews of the first century that will be mocked and put to shame, will it? Many still follow in this train and many still refuse to believe the evidence that God has set before us. Will the Queen of Sheba's opinion be of you on that day? Will you imitate her in searching for the truth, in giving your all to the king, reminding of the king's bounty to those he loves? Or will you be condemned for having not searched for the truth and having had the king revealed to you and yet you rejected what you've seen?
That's the challenge that she brings to us from so long ago. It's just as relevant as if it happened last week. Will you hear what she says? Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful for this record of your word, this part of your word in which we've had opportunity to think together this morning. We pray for those who are seeking that they would also understand the overwhelming nature of evidence that we have in the Gospels concerning your Son. And we pray that everywhere, as the Queen of Sheba's story is told, and as we reflect on what she saw and how she believed, our prayer is that people of this generation will also reflect on what evidence is here in the scriptures. The glory of the Lord Jesus, the one in whom you delight, revealed for us all to see. Grant that we might also be helpful in helping others who are seeking to lead them to the knowledge of Christ Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And for any today who do not know him or hearing this message perhaps at a later time have never come to believe in him, we pray that they too might put their hope and trust in the greater one than Solomon. We pray in his name. Amen.